Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies of all time into their own Hall of Fame. With no further ado, roll the camera. Hey Mark, how's it going? It's going great, man. Uh, excited to uh, talk about a, a very different genre today. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. This movie is an absolute personal favorite of mine. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm thinking of my top five, ten movies, this some always seems to escape my, I guess, the, the tip of my tongue or just the first things I would think of. But this movie is one of my just all-time favorites. Just maybe nostalgia, the topic the theories and things that it discusses. Mark, where does this movie fit for you and, and just your love of movies? I think I'm in the same same area as you. I have a, a personal attachment to the movie. I think it's just the Bill Murray of it all, you know? He's he's kind of grown as a cult figure, obviously like tenfold since this movie came out. And it, at the time, early 90s, he's already very much a cult figure because of like Ghostbusters and you know all of his work, but I'm really fond of this movie. I remember seeing it in theaters and then I looked at the release date on this and realized that I had to have been like six and a half when I saw it, which A plus parenting by my parents. That's how I aim to be as a parent one day. You know, two things surprised me when we sat down to to revisit and talk about this movie. And I've seen this movie countless times. I'd say probably 20 to 30 times yeah. in full and other times just bits here and there. And the two things that surprised me is one, that this movie's rated PG. Now, like you said before, maybe this is before PG-13 really set in and they got a little stricter. But the other thing that surprised me is that it is a 93 film. I always remembered this as a late 80s or very early 90s film. 93 to me seems more recent than I remembered it being. Yeah, I think it seems like it might have been a little bit farther back, but I do distinctly remember seeing this in theaters. So I knew it couldn't have been like late 80s because I, I wouldn't have seen it. Totally. Well, the movie we are talking about is Groundhog Day, the 1993 fantasy comedy. It's definitely a fiction film. I think so throw some romance in there, romantic comedy to it. It's also a bit of a drama. It definitely has its dramatic moments as well. I'd say this movie, I think, is diverse in its topics and its genre capacity here. Yeah, I think it's a little hard to to kind of pin this down as, as far as a genre. Uh, genre. If you combine it all together, it's like a, a fantasy romantic dramedy. Yeah, I, I think I think you kind of said, you know, pre our recording is it's a dark comedy. And I think when you get into that dark comedy, people know it's going to be deal with a little more drama, deal with a little more seriousness to the comedy, a little drier, which you kind of get with Bill Murray. Definitely is. It's uh has some surprising dark moments in it for a fairly light film for the most part, but it it really dives into some very deep questions about like existentialism and kind of like vampirism. Like if you were a vampire and you were living forever, how long would it take before it would become mundane and you were looking for an escape out of it? Yeah, this definitely deals with some definitely psychological stuff that obviously drives him to some places, some very dark places. And very dark. This movie at a running time of an hour and 40 minutes, I'd say it's probably where comedies usually fit in at. You're a little over 90 minutes, usually where they land at. But this movie that's to break down its plot, its most simple explanation is a weatherman that finds himself inexplicably living the same day 
over and over again. And people have actually used the terms Groundhog Day to explain repetition and things happening over and over again because of this movie. Yeah, it's used interchangeably now with like deja vu as just a term of, oh, just having the same thing happen to you and uh, that you know feeling that you get from yeah. the, the Groundhog Day of it all. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Bill Murray's character in this is a bit miserable. And I feel like it, it overlaps with who we know Bill Murray to be almost in real life, this kind of miserable, smug jerk who he might be that or might be a, a performance when you see him in interviews. But his character, Phil, which we've spoke about before, you know, characters in movies have turned into musicals. We'll discuss that at one point. But the character of Phil here, he it almost seems like he's written with Bill Murray in mind. I agree with you on that. Uh, I think it's interesting. We're kind of like picking up where we left off with uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, you know, in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how he was born to be Tony Stark. You can't imagine anyone else being Phil Connors except for Bill Murray. Like even, you know, Harold Ramis and Andy McDowell, his co-star, had said like, it, it could only be Bill Murray that can be this smug and that you still love him. Yeah, Harold Ramis, who wrote and directed this film, he co-wrote this film, they actually said they had thought about other people for this role. I think they had looked at Tom Hanks. I think I read they, had, they looked at Kevin Klein. They looked at a few different people, Michael Keaton from this time period. Right. And I don't think actually when this was completed that Harold Ramis and Bill Murray stayed on good terms after a long friendship and long partnership. I think there actually was a falling out, but they made it through this movie and, and made a heck of a movie. This is considered one of the great movies the year it came out, one of the great comedies of the 90s. And it's a beloved film that I think has only grown since it came out. Definitely has. The you know, original screenwriter, Danny Rubin, had said in like a few interviews that his goal with writing the script and well, his input on the film was to make a timeless type of movie that you can watch forever. So they made sure that they took out any type of pop culture references or anything overt that's going to date it, you know, specifically, you know, in the 90s. Definitely want to make sure that we recognize him as well. But you were kind of going over it. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis had a fairly contentious relationship throughout the you know, pre-production, the production of this film, they were kind of rewriting it a little bit as they were going along. The studio was pushing for a more overt and, you know, explicit explanation of what caused the time loop, and they never got it. Uh, so there was some tension there, but, you know, it ended up kind of just, I guess, making it across the finish line because this is a fantastic film and a, a really, you know, it, it did stand the test of time. It really does feel timeless when you re revisit it. Yeah, this movie was filmed in, uh, filmed in 1992, released in 93. I think it was about six months of filming in Illinois where it was filmed. And they said the weather there was kind of rough. And I think they did a great job of capturing the small town of, it looks like, you know, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, but it's a town in, in Illinois that they thought would be perfect for the setting. And I really think the the place they picked, the cold weather climate, the, the outfits, we don't necessarily talk about these things that much, the makeup, the the, the, right. the costumes, the setting, but I feel like they really made it feel like they could have been in Punxsutawney. Definitely. They did a great job with the location. I think Harold Ramis uh, had changed a little bit of the plot of it to make it feel a little more claustrophobic, like he was trapped in Punxsutawney. The original 
uh, script, you know, had him trying to push the boundaries of how far he could travel before the day would reset. So that was a, a fantastic decision. I think really makes the the journey for the uh, the audience kind of mirror the the journey for Phil Connors. Totally. And before we dive any deeper into anything else, I feel like I have to mention Bill Murray's counterpart here and Andy McDowell, who is was just a favorite actress of mine at this time period. You know, movies that she was in, I feel like she has a grace about her, a wonderful warmth to all the characters she plays. I'm a big fan of her opposite Bruce Willis in the comedy Hudson Hawk. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good, that's a good call. Hudson Hawk is one of those, it's not the greatest movie of all time by any means, <laughs> but it's one of those guilty pleasures that I loved her in. And this movie in, in Groundhog Day specifically, I think they were looking for someone at first that could have the comedic chops to really match Bill Murray mano a mano, but you're not going to find many people that can sit across in Bill Murray and improv and throw jokes back and forth so they said what if we can find someone that can kind of hold their own have a grace and an honesty and a warmth to her and she kills this she makes you at first realize what a jerk he is because she's such a good person and then when you do see him falling for her and this whole thing about trying to as you see him reliving these days finding to impress her and get her respect and warmth it's really fun to see that almost montage of of uh, of that evolution Absolutely. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on it and, and said it perfectly. Uh, I think the way Andy McDowell plays the character, there's like an authenticity to her uh, in this movie and most of her you know, projects that I've ever seen her in that makes her so accessible uh, to the audience. It make, makes it so easy to like her characters. And you love like the slight Southern twang she has to her voice too. I'm a big fan. If you talk about other movies that aren't, you know, necessarily the best movie in the world, but I was uh, fond of, that she was in uh, the movie Michael with John Travolta, where he's like the fallen angel. I was a, I was a big fan of that movie and her in that as well, but she definitely has this grace to her, this emotional access, this authenticity in all of her roles. And it really does come across very well in this movie to be the you know direct counterpart to the overt smugness that Bill Murray just bathes in early in the film um to his that's not but you know discrediting him at all it's actually i think that's a compliment i think that's a a compliment to bill murray absolutely (laughs) it's a huge compliment because the the emotional like bulk of the story and the redemption of his character within the film only works if you really think of him as like a really smug bastard and he pulls it off really well yeah they've said in interviews that at first they thought that it might not be believable that the audience is not going to like his character. And when they thought about other actors, Kevin Klein, Michael Keaton, and they, and even Tom Hanks, they said, no, audiences like us normally in our movies, we usually play these likable roles. It might not be believable or be too believable that we will redeem ourselves right. with Bill Murray. I'm surprised it works because he's a jerk in almost a lot, a lot of the movies he plays, but in this, it, it does work, you know, three quarters way through this movie, you're kind of, sympathizing with him you're realizing all he's done to try and do right and and kind of right all the wrongs he's done and he's become a better person through the many 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 days he relives 
Definitely. Yeah. He he seems like hesitant, I think, was, which is all, also what makes it pay off well. It's not like a quick snap. Like you can tell there is a slow burn of, OK, I want to get a, get out of this. Wait, I can get something out of this. And how can I exploit it? And then slowly he's like, wait, I can become a better person instead of just trying to get what I want temporarily. I want to change to be the better person so that I can, you know, really get this woman that I'm falling in love with. Yeah, I think anyone can relate to what he goes through here. When this movie starts, he's not very excited to be on basically on the job on Groundhog Day to go down to this small town and be a part of this. He's not impressed by it. He doesn't care. It's not worth his time. And he wants no, no, really no part of it at all. And he's kind of a jerk about it. I think we can all look at our own lives and look at some of the jobs or tasks we're given or things told to do. And they look like meaningless, stupid tasks. But if you look at these tasks a different way as an opportunity to grow as a person or look at it as an experience or a life event, maybe we can enjoy things more. And I think this movie has a lot of moments like that that we can all relate and learn from. Yeah, if we if we like slightly oversimplify it, he goes from being kind of big timey city personality to realizing that the small town folks and and their way of life and the charm that they have and you know how kind of like all all in they are on this kind of silly holiday, but that means so much to them really wins him over and he you know starts to embrace their way of looking at things and just embracing you know the joy in things. I agree. And just a comment on what you said about Andy McDowell. I would say her character, Rita here, I agree. It's, she has this genuine, you said authenticity. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the girl next door. It's not that type of performance. Right. But Andy McDowell has, I think, a charisma about her that I don't think she's the most beautiful, bombshell, gorgeous actress that's ever, you know, graced, you know, cinema. But she's also, she's obviously very pretty. She's obviously a beautiful woman. And I think there's just, as you said, an accessibility to the way she portrays her characters and this one in particular, that you can see why he could fall for her as her her personality, her her beauty, and all that comes with who she is. And I think that's hard to do to show the the amount of depth that is to her character, that she's she's more than just, you know, what, what she appears to be at first. Right. Uh, yeah, to extrapolate out on that a little bit more, uh, like you just were, you know, we've been kind of raving about Bill Murray and how believable it is for him to have that slow burn from being a jerk to being reformed and, and thinking about things in a different way. It doesn't really work if she's not on that same type of a level. And uh, Rita's, you know, skeptical health you know healthily skeptical for a long time if we're talking about like real time there's different arguments that have been made about how long he's stuck in his time loop for but she's she has the healthy skepticism of each of the things that he's doing so it doesn't feel at it as not like unbelievable that she's falling for him he actually has to reform for him to get past her she sees through you know the facade when he when he doesn't actually change yeah, when he tries his tricks to win over her, it doesn't work like it does on the character Nancy. When he tries his, you know, his <laughs> quick lines and his couple lines here and there to learn things about her, it doesn't work on Rita, and she sees right through the the BS. You touched upon something that I always find an interesting topic about this movie, and it is how much time actually passes, or 
how much time does he spend reliving the same day? And there's been studies done about this movie, about right. how long Phil relives the same day. And it's based on his skill of doing ice sculptures. It's based on his ability to play the piano flawlessly. Right, the jazz piano. <laughs> Those two activities right there. And he learns other things. I mean, there's a dozen different things he portrays and, and shows his talents in this movie. But those particular things take years to, to get to the skill level that he's at. Definitely do. There've been varying estimates. They are widely varying. So let's just lead off by saying that uh, when the movie released, Harold Ramis said that he imagined that the film took place over a 10 year period. And then subsequent to that in interviews, Danny Rubin, the you know person who originally wrote the screenplay said that he based it off of like a, a Buddhist type of uh, mantra about, you know, the true changing of a soul can take up to 10,000 years. And then someone, I think it was on, might've been on Reddit, but some internet sleuth kind of calculated how long it would take to master each of these different, different expertises. And they said it, it would have taken at least 34 years. So you're talking about decades at least. Yeah, I think 10 years is definitely on the light side. Yeah. I would say you're probably in that 20 to 30 to possibly even 40 year gap to learn right. and experience all the things he did. Unless he literally woke up every day and played the piano nonstop for like six months, then took up ice sculpting for the next six months and did nothing but that. But right. it's it's wild. And this movie goes to some dark places too. You and me touched upon that when we started. But this movie, he goes through a phase an area here where he realizes he can't get out. And this is, who knows, two years, three years, four years into him reliving the same, same day that he says, I'm going to take my own life. And I feel like the movie touches upon it in comedical ways where he's taking the groundhog with him and things like right. that. But it definitely takes it to some dark spots. They definitely portrayed this kind of to be the five stages of grief, you know, the dab, the denial, uh, anger, bargaining. But that's definitely the anger phase. I think it's it's interesting that, again, we're talking about a movie that's a comedy, a romantic comedy, but it really does dive into that deep question of existentialism and, you know, is it a gift to have immortality and live forever? But this is an interesting one because you're not, it's not the typical way of seeing immortality where you see everyone that you love grow older and die. It's being trapped in the same day. You can't die, but you can't progress forward. So I think that's such an interesting plot device and an interesting way of looking at it. And I think other movies have used this plot device since then. But I don't think it had been done much prior to, and I could be wrong. Right. But I, I think can't of, think of one either. You know, I think of there's probably three or four movies just off the top of my head that reuse this concept. I believe there was the Jake Gyllenhaal movie on the train. Right. Right. Uh, it was that source code, I think. Yes. And there, there's a couple others I could think of where. Happy Death Day. Yeah, there's a bunch. Yeah. And I know there's that the new TV show that came out in the last year or two. Russian Doll, I believe it's called. Okay, yeah, yeah. I believe that's what the, the name of it is. But yeah, people reliving the same experience, reliving the same moment, reliving the same day, just using this concept. And the concept is entertaining because it makes us think that if you do one thing differently throughout your day, would it change the scope of all those different events? And it kind of has that butterfly effect. And you see how that plays out, whether he steps in a puddle, whether he's friendly or nice to certain people throughout his day, whether he blows certain people off. There's so many little interactions that you see happen 
10 to 12 times and you see them done all differently. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think it it's it gives a different level to the movie where it's not just popcorn filler. You know, it actually does make you think. You're like, oh, how awesome would it be if you could, you know, learn all these you know, different things about people to try to manipulate them this particular way and make things better for yourself. But how then the question of what good is it if you never get to cash in on it past the day, you know, and then being trapped in that, think about for decades. Again, the, the time frame that we're talking about, 34 years, ironically enough, is the amount of time that both of us have basically been on this planet. So yeah. imagine living the same day for literally both of our entire existences that that's got to be just a complete you know mind scramble yeah it's easy to scoff at or look at the time frame the decades that he's reliving the same day and say oh it's a movie or ah he could have found other things to do but when you really think about it, like you said bill murray was probably if i had to guess in his mid to late 30s maybe 40 years old at this point i'm not sure exactly how old he was mm -hmm. but you have to think up until that point reliving the same amount of years basically right the same exact day i think it's an accomplishment that he just made it through it at the end <laughs> absolutely and i think looking at it now i looked at it differently because we look at everything through the different lens obviously of the time that we live in to look at it in the time of the pandemic people are people were losing their minds after being kind of stuck in essentially the same day for a couple weeks now extend that out two decades. I, I, I just think it was really, really interesting to think about it within that mindset of like the post-pandemic world in like COVID times of how we were kind of trapped in reliving the same day and what would it feel like to be trapped in that type of a day for so long. Yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's a fascinating case study. It's a fascinating topic that the movie, you know, takes on. And I just looked it up. Bill Murray was 42 when he filmed this movie. So he's 43 year when it came out. So right. two years older than I thought, but it's still, like we said, an incredible amount of time. A scene in particular that there's many scenes that are very memorable in this movie. A lot of comedic lines, quotes. One that always sticks out to me is the scene where he kind of makes Rita think that he's basically a God. How he's sitting in the diner He's oh, got yeah. the biggest breakfast spread in front of himself. He's got waffles and donuts and pastries and everything on his plate. And she's like asking him, like, aren't you worried about your health at all? And he then goes on a rant about what everyone in the diner that's sitting there, like who they are, where they're from, what they do, what's their deep, dark secrets. And it's just really cool to see that moment where he's kind of like, mastered this everyday situation and how he's just like you know what i'm gonna take advantage and enjoy that i'm gonna wake up tomorrow i'm not gonna put another pound on and there's no consequences to what i do right now yeah i think it's the first time we really get the the full idea of like the scope of how much time has passed because he knows the story of every person at that diner but one of my favorite visual things that they did in that uh, sequence also is he takes a pastry and he puts the entire thing into his mouth and also only gets like a little bit of the corner, like on the side of his cheek. Uh, that was impressive in itself uh, for me. I think he should have gotten an Oscar just for that. But yeah, that's a that's a great sequence. The, the thing that I thought was interesting, because I haven't watched the movie in a little while and it took obviously until I think I remember seeing it when I was in 
college for the first time in a long time at that time and seeing the character of Ned Ryerson and it finally clicking into my head that he was a con man. I was like, why is he being so mean to this guy that was in his high school? And then it finally hit me. So many things flew above my head because I saw this when I was six years old. Yeah, th- that actor had gone into a couple other things. And so the actor that played the cameraman, the actor that played... Uh, Larry the cameraman, Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott was also in there. There's something, uh, something about Mary. As Woogie. As classic. Woogie, yes, classic. And Ned was played by Stephen Tobolowski, who is known for Spaceballs, Memento, a couple big movies that he's been in. But yeah, some of these other ensemble you know, character roles that are in here definitely fill out the cast. But I think this is really... Bill Murray and Andy McDowell's everyone else seems like small town people that have kind of line here or there. I feel like the two leads it's, it's make or break on their shoulders. Yeah, it it really is. Uh, And you have to buy their chemistry uh, as two very different people. Bill Murray and Andy McDowell obviously are also two very different people. And I think that's reflected in their characters. So you have to buy that these two very different people that have at first an abrasive maybe slightly hesitant working relationship could authentically start to care about the other. So I think that's, that's difficult. Most of the, you know, romantic comedies that you'll see now are two just gorgeous people. You're like, Oh yeah, they fit together perfectly. But these two, you have, you know, uh, like a Southern bell that has like an every woman type of quality to her. And then you have like kind of a sardonic sarcastic jerk with really great, really great one-liners and very quick on his feet. But yeah, they're not as easy of a sell immediately. No, no it's so. not an easy sell. And I think it takes some time for even the audience to believe. Right. I think at first she is open to a kind of a relationship as far as being friends with him. And I think she respects because I think he is very good at what he does. He's very successful. And I think he's kind of known for being a very famous well weatherman. I think he's right. very well known. And I think she respects him for that, but I think he's his smugness kind of turns her off the first, I'd say third or quarter of this movie. She's like, wow, what a freaking guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The The nicest way of saying be like, what a character. Yeah, totally. So, but I agree it works, you know, you, as you watch their relationship and as you watch her not fall for all of his tricks and you see him actually have to, try to learn who she really is and find out what makes her tick and what things she likes and dislikes. And he has to take us on this interest to actually see who she is. And it makes it believable. And it makes their pairing as they, you know, play in the snow and as they fall asleep together, hoping that, you know, he'll wake up and she'll be there. It makes you rooting for them to, to you know, to work out. Yeah, they. you definitely end up rooting for them by, I'd say even midway through the second act you start rooting for for the two of them to kind of get together but yeah it's 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 not something that that you think immediately about how easily it fits together i I feel like most of the time with a lot of the different romantic comedies even from this time period but definitely within the last decade or so it's very easy to be like oh yeah these two should fit together like that's not a problem i can i see it in my head like no there's no question that they should end up together this one it, it, it takes a little bit like watching it now knowing how it turns out you're like oh yeah she's way too good she's way too good for him and he's just so callous and weird and i just don't see it absolutely and this movie i think is 
very rewatchable. I think you can enjoy on each rewatch, picking up on things. It's it's just brilliant as far as the the filmmaking. There's the topic, the concept, and then I think the movie's aged great. Like you said, there's the things that don't really make this a period piece besides, you know, costumes and hairstyles, but they're wearing winter clothes, which feel like it's winter clothes in a small town. I feel like it could still look like it was shot five or 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think this makes this movie open for new audiences to, to watch and enjoy. It's definitely, I think, infinitely rewatchable, ironically, obviously, given the subject matter. But I think a a large part of that is kind of tied to two people there. You have Harold Ramis's direction and the way that he tells the story and composes everything together. They have everything really kind of tightly knit that way. But it's also worth noting with Danny Rubin when he was writing this this film, he took around, I think if I remember correctly from the interview he had done, it took him around seven weeks to make this script. He wanted to make like a script for him to be known by when he was trying to pitch for other movies. So he took seven weeks to make this script and he took six of those weeks to focus on the rules of the time loop and the characters. And then he took the final week to write the actual script. So it feels like, again, they don't go over why the time loop is happening, but it never feels like they, they're diving away from the rules that have been set in place. It never feels like you're taken out of the diegesis of the story. And I think that's really important. That's what makes it really rewatchable is that you never kind of get shaken out of the, the film. Yeah, I don't think they go too deep into Bill Murray and, and Phil's attempts to escape this daily plunder, as far as, like you said, like, you know, the rules of the concept. So I think it makes it believable that this has happened to this man. You know, he's dr- trying to drive out of town, trying to kill himself. And after like his few attempts, you just believe that, okay, he's stuck there. And no matter what happens, he's going to be back the next day. And I feel like because it doesn't try to spell it out or try and do too much as far as the concept, it's it works. You know, you just, the audience doesn't question it. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a Richard Curtis movie that I, I actually am a big fan of that involves time travel called about time where they regularly break the rules of time travel in that movie and i think you just touched on it it's really great that they don't ever explicitly say these are the rules because then you're like okay this is what i'm looking for but i think between the the two main writers between harold Ramis and danny rubin they you know had this set of rules that in the film are unspoken that they really stuck to you know, again, the, the rule of, of show, don't tell. And I think that really helps you stay in the movie. Because if you're if you're not told what, you know, the rules are, you can just kind of live in the confusion that the character's living in. I agree. And this is a movie that you can easily find on usually cable. You can find it, DVD, Blu-ray, probably streaming services. I recently watched this movie on 4K and it looked gorgeous. The cinematography and, and just the, the, the photography that you're looking at is, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's great. And everything jumped out as far as colors and, and detail. And I think this movie is just as much fun as the first time I watched it. And as you said, I think more fun because I now notice things as an adult, as a you know 30 something year old that 
things that I didn't realize the first go around. You appreciate things more. I think you relate to a lot of the characters more than I did when, when you were seven, when you first saw this, but I yeah. was like, <laughs> I think I was probably 15, you know, 14, 15, but somewhere in that range. But I just fell in love with this movie immediately. Something connected with me on this movie. And I love it. I love this movie. I love it through and through. It's great comedy. I, there's some romance. I wouldn't necessarily call it a romantic movie. If you're looking to put a romantic movie on, I don't know if this fits the bill, but there's a romantic story in there. Yeah, I think there's enough of a romance there. By the time you get to the end of the movie, their their romance is kind of full fledged. You've you've gone through the journey yeah. with them. Yeah, they have a and full arc. Like, You're right. Yeah, they have a full arc, and I I think you really get that payoff that um that that full payoff and the the deserved ending. I think for both the characters. I just or think deserve new beginning real more accurately. I just think when you think about the prototypical rom-com right or even just romantic drama you know romantic dramas people think about the notebook you know think about movies like that or rom-coms right. they think about all these 27 dresses movies and just these silly over the top comedy romantic movies this one for some reason doesn't come straight to mind and I don't know because it's about the subject about because the romance is kind of the B plot to What's yeah. happening to him, what's happening to Phil, I feel like is the central story. Him trying to find out how he's trapped in this daily routine. Right. The love story is sort of what makes him a better person and her and everything right. else. But I feel like it's not the main plot point. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a it's a it's a B plot that sneakily becomes the A plot. Right. It's it's on the back burner. Initially, he's just trying to get whatever he can he's sleeping around and he's stealing money and timing things out and having a grand old time but then he wants to escape the loop and he also at the same time finds that this person is genuinely the nicest person he's ever met and is kind to everyone strangers and himself when he's not even being you know anything remotely resembling human in in his interactions with her and he wants to get her so much that she becomes his way out. So it's a B plot that kind of like sneaks its way into yeah, the A plot. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I, I agree with you. It's almost comical how good of a person he becomes, like doing all these charitable, nice things by the, by yeah. the end of his daily routines that he's become this. It, it's almost like a joke how nice he's become, become of how smug he was. And a lot of it is right. an act, but it's, it definitely is fun. Well, I think I, I need to at least quickly point out the fact that here we are with another movie that did become a musical. And right. Mark, did you have any experience with the Groundhog Day musical? Yeah, I did. I saw the uh, the musical while it was in that brief run in the August Wilson Theater. It was a great time. I think Tim Minchin did a, a fantastic job taking the you know music. Obviously, they didn't use uh, I Got You, Babe. But I, I remember I was running to get to the the show on time and it's a two o'clock start it was a matinee and i get there at like two like 202 and i'm going in and the person's like i'm like i'm like did it start yet she's like it's about to start but even if you missed a few minutes you're gonna see it over and over again so don't even worry about it we'll fill yourself back in when he's reliving the day you'll, you'll be like oh okay that's what i missed five minutes ago uh but it was a great time yeah it's funny it has short run and i didn't want to miss it so me and a buddy of mine caught it a few months before it closed and i have to say yeah there were some scenes some moments that you were not you know the greatest i've seen on broadway but i really right. had a great time i thought the music was wonderful and i think andy carl that oh, was amazing played played phil 
I thought he did such a great job of not trying to impersonate Bill Murray, kind of putting his own spin. And it is, the character is slightly different written for the stage, but I just thought he was fantastic. And I just thought the show was a lot of fun. If you like the movie, I feel like the, the show was, was, was a huge hit for me. Definitely. I agree with you. Andy Carl uh, did an amazing job. The transformation of Phil into this person that's saving people out of trees and all these different things. He has to portray very physically, you know, in like a seven minute montage of like, kind of like a medley of songs almost within the within the uh, the musical uh, and the physicality. He did like such a great job. He just had like the unfortunate timing that the Groundhog Day came out like the same year as Dear Evan Hansen. So he had no chance of winning the Tony, but any other year he would have been, you know, right up in the running. He did a great job. It was a really fun musical yeah i think a lot of those things is timing like you yeah, said absolutely timing is always important and i think this movie as much as i think movie fans and, and it definitely has a huge following i don't think this has the following that some other movie to musical adaptations have right so i don't think it definitely got the turnouts that they probably wanted but you know the original broadway cast recording has a number of great songs on it that i re-listen to every once in a while and I think it was really written well for the stage. Yeah, it was very well written and uh, a really fun, fun time. I think there had been a U.S. tour then scheduled that ended up being canceled, but there's like regional productions that are still happening. I know there's a few international productions that ended up being put on halt because of the pandemic. But if and when it becomes, you know, something that's available to you, I definitely recommend seeing it. Uh, it's a it's a time at the theater that you'll you'll remember and enjoy i agree i wish like they did with hamilton and like they did with a few others i wish they made it more of a regular thing to get a recording of these i'd even pay money whether it's a disc a pay-per-view type rental i'd love to right. rewatch something you know something like that but i'm glad i saw it once i'm glad i experienced it once and i'm sad that others can't but the movie's still there and watch the movie if you haven't seen it Go watch it. Groundhog Day is, uh, you know, we, we're probably, again, 20 movies or so into our conversations. And this one, again, might not be a best picture award-winning movie, but I think male or female, young or old, this is a movie you can really enjoy. Definitely. One sequence I wanted to make sure I mentioned uh, as well during that Reformation, that final run where he, uh, he finally turns the page. I think he mentions he's going on errands and you see him walking down the street, checking his watch and then checking his watch again and sprinting to catch a kid falling out of a tree off of a ladder. And just, he catches the kid and he says, what do you say? He's like, he's like, you have never once thanked me. And I just love that sequence. I think it's just perfectly played. It is like quintessential Bill Murray. It's a little over the top. Oh, it's, they, it's perfect. <laughs> that they can have a kid that falls out of a tree, but just happens to be, or he can be there in time. It's that day that he's reliving that a kid always falls out of a tree. But again, it works for the story and for the movie and it's entertaining. And yeah, there's, there's so many fun moments. You know, the scene in the, the bar scene where he's singing, there's, there's a bunch of really fun moments in this movie. And while he's experiencing these things over and over again, I think it's fun as an audience member to rewatch and relive this movie as many times as you can, because you, you notice details, you notice things, you, you fall for the characters, you know, you, you really do fall for them by the end of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. You fall for the characters. Uh, they do a great job making the story feel like a, a complete arc 
and, and selling that well. The two leads have great chemistry. They are you know portraying their characters very well. We always talk about kind of like the the impact of these you know different films with box office numbers and the box office numbers return on this was pretty good. But I think it's also kind of important to think about, you know, Groundhog Day itself wasn't like a huge thing. They did this movie coming out and the the date just kind of coincidentally being Groundhog Day they ended up centering the whole plot around really helped the the town Punxsutawney. Like it made that an event. Uh, where it was a local event, but it made it more of a national widespread event. You know, having a big film with Bill Murray as the the center star of it helped kind of put Groundhog Day as a holiday on the map and also Punxsutawney. So that's a, a lasting impact. We're 28 years removed from this movie and we wanted to get this episode out a little closer to Groundhog Day. It's ended up being more of a Valentine's Day type episode, but either way, you know, we're 28 years removed from this movie. As you said, decent box office, 70 plus million dollars on a, they say 15 to 30 million roughly estimated budget, which is not bad. It was one of the better profitable movies of that year. But like you said, this brought attention to the holiday, to Punxsutawney. It's still yearly a thing that people tune in for. And it's something that I am quite partial to. I love the Groundhog Day holiday and, and what it's about. And I think it's fun. And this movie, you know, I feel like you think of most holidays, you can think of a movie that, that goes with it. And, you know, you can think of Christmas, there's a dozen movies. You think of Halloween, there's a dozen movies. You think of, you know, Independence Day, you know, and there's always a movie there for it. And right. this movie really probably helped the holiday and the town and everything that it's about gain some traction. But it also helps this movie stay relevant every year. Definitely. Yeah, being kind of a one of a kind and the way that they made it timeless and the performances, all of that together is like a perfect storm to make the movie and the holiday and the location, Punxsutawney, all really tightly meshed together, like uh, interconnected. I couldn't agree more. And I know there's a ton of sequences and quotes and things that I'm going to say afterwards that I wish we discussed. Is there anything else, Mark, before we put an end to Groundhog Day that you wanted to uh, discuss? I think we touched on it all. It's just, it's a great time. I really, I, I remembered that I liked the movie, obviously, but uh, it wasn't until I watched it again that I remembered how much I loved the movie itself. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. If you've seen it, uh, you know, experience the Groundhog Day yourself and watch it again. Yeah, if I for the unfortunate times that I go too long without watching this movie and then I revisit it. I'm always remembered why I love this movie and it gets better each time. So definitely go rewatch if you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, turn this off and find a way to watch it and then make sure you come back and visit us again. Mark, uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Fidelis. Also on twitter.com slash TV. Excellent. Well, thank you, guys. We will see you next time. Have a good one. From Mark and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.